Welcome to the 3v3 Podcast, your socially distanced hockey chat show. Here are your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. Oh, wait, I actually had a question, didn't I? <laughs> wow. We, we tried to change it up and it lasted, what, two episodes? Uh, <clears throat> well, you know, consistency has never been our strong suit, so we'll see how long it lasts. <laughs> um, all right, so... Uh, from a visual perspective, you're watching a hockey game, just visually being in the arena. If you could sit anywhere in an arena to watch hockey, where specifically would you sit? I tend to prefer um, corners and like front row 200 level on the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, that just gives me the best view of everything on the, I don't care, you know, all the, I I just like being able to take in everything, um, and not feel like I'm in a tennis match to watch the game go by me, you know, going there, down at that end, end." you know, you can see, um, plays develop easier. And that's mm-hmm. what I enjoy more than anything. So my answer is almost virtually identical. I was going to say 200 level corner. It doesn't matter which end. You know, I don't have a strong preference for, you know, home or away team shooting twice. I just want to watch the game. But but the my uh, bougie add-on to this is <laughs> being in a luxury suite in the corner of the 200 level kind of by yourself so I can stand. Cause there's something about sitting for me. I get a little antsy. I just like to stand and kind of stretch my legs a little. We are just, uh, I swear to God, we're twins. You're, you're a pacer when you watch games, aren't you? Uh, when I was more invested in my younger years. Yes. I, I would I would get up, move around in the living room. Not so much these days, but I I think it comes from my days as refing because unfortunately that that was my uh, other answer, but it cannot come to fruition. Um, being a ref, you do have the best um, best seat in the house. Doesn't mean you can do your job that well, but you have the <laughs> best seat in the house. Well, yeah, I mean, other than. Being, you know, you're on the ice in the middle of the game, yes. Yeah. But, but no, just being able to stand it and just kind of, you pivot, you move around. But the good thing about the 200 level in the corner is you have no blind spots on the ice. Yeah. If I, you go up too high, sometimes you can't see the puck along the board, so you can't exactly see what they're doing. And if you're too low, there's any number of blind spots, depending upon the arena. Yeah, I think one of my that the the infamous trip that we took back in 2014, 15, whenever it was, um, 12, whenever that we took the the California Dreaming Road trip, where we had. Um, press passes at the Sharks Arena. Um, they, I think I've mentioned this before, you know, the, the press row is in the rafters in the arena. And the press row overflow was um, was hanging from uh, one of the corner ends. So, like, during the game, we were looking over there, and, and there was Ryan Nugent Hopkins because he was injured. And so he was sitting up in the press box over and over with, I think the scouts for the Oilers were there in that section and around about the middle of the second period, they left. I think they went downstairs to do something in the video room. So I snuck over. Well, I didn't sneak. I had a press pass. I could have gone anywhere I wanted. But I went over there, and wow, those. I mean, that was that was the NH. That was the EA Sports NHL level view. You know that top ice view, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it was so weird to watch the game that way. 
You know, it I was like, I, I, a couple times I felt like I should be holding a controller because it had that perspective. And, and, and then, don't you feel like the offensive end should also come towards you as yeah, plays? Yeah, just <laughs> rotate. You know, offense is, offense is always going north. Um, that same road trip, you know, we went down to L.A. and we had a suite and, and, this, and the um, Staples Center, or if you used to call it the bro, crypto bro center, um, and I was surprised because when you see the bowl, you think you're going to feel further away by how, by how pitched the bowl was. But in reality, they were, you know, you weren't that far away. It didn't feel like you were that far away. So, you know, I, I, I would have had a much better time if, if one of my guests wasn't constantly in my face trying to talk to me and ask me questions about people. Um, so I couldn't watch the game. But by and large, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I got to see McDavid his rookie year twice. I'm not going to complain. <clears throat> so, like you guys, Corner, um, uh, when I buy tickets, I usually try to get... Um, because usually the the first row at the second level is is sold out because that would be ideal, right? That's first row, second level, especially with the arenas where the the second level is like overhanging the you know bottom level because that isn't always the case. Um, those are like fantastic. but uh, I usually end up somewhere in the top third of the lower level in a corner across from the benches. And I intentionally do this across from the benches because there's a lot of action that happens at the bench. That's a very good point. And, and uh, typically I end up in the, if I'm rooting for a team, I end up in the end uh, where that team shoots twice. So I, I, I'm like I'm incredibly specific about this. <laughs> God, no kidding. Over years and years and years of like sitting everywhere, it's like this is this is the place. Um, but yeah, I like sitting across from the benches because you know too many men penalties, coaches yelling at referees, guys doing stupid human tricks on the bench to keep themselves busy during commercial breaks. You know, all kinds of all kinds of fun things to entertain you while you're like while there's a break in play. So, so yeah, it was it, it was funny when I went to Toronto and I was there during September, um, late, late, late September. Um, so preseason games were going and Buffalo was in town and it was Eichel's, you know, rookie year. And I, you know, figured, hell, I'll go watch, you know, a Maple Leafs game, preseason game, you know, I'll go watch him play. Buffalo and I'll at least get to see, you know, Jack Eichel a little bit, even though it's preseason. I still didn't care. And, um, you know, walk-ups of the day, day of game, um, good luck getting tickets, right? <laughs> now, I, box office, when it opens, usually at 10, they release extra tickets on game days. Right. I was, I was literally told there were a dozen seats left. Mm-hmm. And the guy was kind of like, well, I hope you're okay sitting up here. And he pointed on the map and it was, you know, basically kind of two, maybe like a third of the way up on the 200 level in one of the corners. And I'm like, that's where I will kind of want to sit anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm just there going, no, no, I'm fine. I'm, I'm all good there. Um, I will say, however, that at the greenhouse, as we call Climate Pledge Arena now, we call it the Greenhouse. Okay. Oh, um, the seats I had going at that Oilers game, or the seats I was in, I didn't have them. Um, the way they've got that bowl, it's a little steeper. Mm -hmm. So even being in the 100s, you felt you were up higher. And we were just close enough to, you know, we were we were behind the benches, player side. Um, and you got to see, a, like you were saying, Cassie, there, there was a lot of, 
stuff going on at the benches. And I succinctly remember one one change late in the game. Um, you know, the traffic jam at the bench, and there was a little chirping going on. And then all of a sudden, I saw Leon Dreisettle take a pretty good little whack at the back of Jaden Schwartz's leg. And sure enough, the two of them sat on the bench. You could see, you know, their heads popping out over the bench, kind of chirping at each other a little bit. And I just was like, God, I, you know, I didn't see anything on the ice between the two of them, but kind of want to know what happened. You know, all that little stuff, there's, you know, you, you kind of miss on the broadcast. Yeah, the bench stuff and the behind the behind the play stuff. You know, it's that's what you miss on uh, on broadcasts. But so I when in my ignorance when I first started watching hockey, um, <clears throat> I was sitting behind the benches, and uh, you know, twenty years old. It, it was junior hockey, so I was like their age. So you know, whatever. But um, but I was sitting behind the benches, and there's like so much crap that goes on at the bench. <laughs> so much and so like if you want to just like be entertained by the benches right behind the benches is is, like pretty fun Uh, some of the most expensive seats in the arena weirdly but you know pretty fun but if if you want to catch some of that from the other side while sitting in a place where you can actually watch the game (laughs) Yeah, it just it always it, it always baffles me that that people spend so much money on some of the worst seats in the arena because they think like they're going to get some insight or you know, it's it's not like being at the first row of a concert, right? It's like basket or it's like basketball or football or soccer where the center field or center court seats are seen as the best ones to be at, and that doesn't translate into hockey. Well, yeah, because you're you're generally dealing with, and uh, you know, like with football, you're so far away from the field that you know the the front row center, you know, front row fifty yard line, you're basically you know front row two hundred level, and you know tennis and basketball. Well, that's courtside, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't have a big pane of glass and 20 guys sitting in front of you, you know, constantly getting up and changing and walking, you know, and coaches pacing around, you know. Yeah, I've, I've never honestly, having played basketball in high school, uh, I never honestly understood the appeal of courtside seats. <sighs> I've never gotten that. I'm like, you can't. I mean, great. You know, you might get a you might get a player in your lap. Hooray! But well, it's just, <laughs> which I got to be honest with you, Cassie. I think that's what some people are aiming for. Right. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's getting it's a that, ball in the face. <laughs> it's as close as they're ever going to get to being on the court. Mm-hmm. And if LeBron James comes and lands in your lap, you know, you get an interaction with him. Right. You know. And and it's gonna be one of those I touch the hand of God type things, you know. <laughs> it it really is like being front row at a concert, right? Oh my God, he looked at me. Oh my God, he looked at me, you know. <laughs> As someone who who uh, um, thinks that status is a meaningless thing, social status is a meaningless thing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. I'm here to watch the game. I don't. I don't. I, you know, for me, like if someone were to invite me to an NBA game. And they'd be like, oh, I have courtside seats. I'd turn them down. Like, well, I don't want to sit next to the court. I can't see anything. I'd, I'd go. <laughs> you know what, Cassie? I'd go just for the experience. You know, if I didn't have to pay for them, I'd be like, yeah, I'll go. You know, I don't yeah. care. I'll go experience some vantage, Yeah, some some vantage points are worth doing once. Yeah, just once, to say yeah. I did it and just to see what is this really like. Right. What's the appeal? Mm-hmm. Right. But then after that, the novelty, like if you were a season ticket holder, maybe you say, I'll, I'll, I'll do this once a season opponent, depending where I attempted to sit close to the ice for an Oilers game. Once upon a time, guess who was injured and didn't play dry sidle. No, 
because um, he, he had a fantastic game. But uh, the Oilers just whitewashed. I mean, just who? That was not the correct term when talking about hockey. Or it was a very steamroll. correct term. <laughs> yeah, it was just a little too on the nose. <laughs> a little too, a little too much. Yeah. Yeah. No. No, but it, it was the perfect opportunity to just see a, a team steamroll another and just gauge the speed. The only other time I've ever really sat that close, I sat once behind the bench for a New Jersey Devils game. And this was one of the weird seasons where Lou Amarillo fired the coach and then took over. Oh, when he scared everyone into playing well. Yeah. And this was one of, I believe the last games for this would have been Larry Robinson's last season as a head coach. Mm. If memory serves. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but no, I mean, I've sat on the ice. I mean, I've sat on the glass. Um, in the corner, typically either at the end or in a corner. Sometimes I'll do that. Uh, yeah, I I sat just to the left of the visitors' penalty box. Yeah, that's the worst. It was uh, it was a um, quote unquote all star season for one Jonathan Scott. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to see him up close and personal, and the guy could fly. Yeah, like being able to be up close and gauge a person's actual speed when you're, you know what it's like to be out there and you know, yeah, this game's way too fast for me. Mm-hmm. And seeing someone who was the butt of every joke just truck up and down and show a little stick skill amongst much more skilled players was still unbelievable. Well, you know, it's, it's it, you know, it's that old line. The worst player in the NHL is still world's miles astronomical units ahead of ahead of the best player not in the NHL. You know exactly, exactly. But there was a novelty factor to it where I don't think I could watch every other team and gain the same appreciation. It's usually you want to highlight one or two players or a goaltender. If you want to sit in the corner behind a net. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Cassie, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, it's one of those, if there's a ticket available and I'm feeling, feeling like I kind of want to, then I'll do it. But usually I don't. Uh, but my complaint is, uh, you know, players like camping out right in front of you, scrapping for the puck or whatever, and you can't see what's going on on the other side of the boards, right? Because you're right there and there's glass. <clears throat> but at the same time, if they just kind of camp out there as the play moves on, I'm like, I can't see. Move. <laughs> you make a better door than window. Get out of my way. <laughs> I, you know, I think the only time I'd ever want to sit on the glass is I would want to do it um, behind the goal so I could watch the goaltender. And even then, I'd still be, I'd still want to be higher up. <clears throat> right, because I mean, if you're a lot of arenas. That's where the Zamboni door is anyway, like if, depending on which end you're in, of course, right? And so you can't, in, depending on what goalie you want to see, you can't always sit right on the glass anyway. But right. yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring his name up. Uh-oh. I am. Go for it. I think his crime was he didn't realize what he was saying. His job was to do exactly what he did. Explain to you what happened between Jay Beagle and Trevor Zegras. That's what he did. Now, his crime was he should have con- he should have condemned it, you know. Mm-hmm. But by and large, he did, you know, I, I don't. <laughs> He's an analyst. What did he do? Told you what happened on the ice. Gave you a reason why it happened. Guy played the game. Guy was kind of that kind of player in the game. Should have also turned around and said there was no reason, you know, for, you know, that was. Beagle shouldn't, shouldn't have done that. He wasn't terribly self-aware. No. And I, you know, I, I, I hope they kind of learned from it, but he you know, it's it's one of those. He kind of did his job. He didn't say, you know, oh, I'm. 
he didn't really stand up and say good on Beagle for doing that. You know, we don't you know we don't need that kind of crap in our game from Zegras. He just sort of said, you know, this is what happened, and this is kind of why it happened, and. And he gave a justification from his own perspective, which... That's where I had the issue, you know. Yes, but I do understand why, because it, whatever type of quote-unquote career you want to say this individual had, it was by and large because he had to play that role. Now, is that role necessary? Absolutely not. In, it in wasn't this, it, in this economy. Mm-hmm. No, nah, especially in this economy. But it was, it was necessitated based on, uh, oh, we doubled the size of the league, and we haven't adjusted as we rolled into the eighties. Let let's let's try something that works to our advantage, at well, least I- at the NHL level. And, and that was his problem with the entire comment at the end was that he hasn't kept up with the league. <laughs> you know, it wasn't what he said was bad necessarily. It was just archaic. It was just, I mean, you're you're still stuck in the time period from when you played. Yeah. And that's yeah. fine so far as it goes, but at least recognize the fact that you are stuck in the time period from which you played. And I'm going to steal a line from uh, one of the wiretaps from Toronto. Um, <laughs> Hi guys. Steve, yeah, uh, from we, we the Steve Dangle podcast. Let's let's give not, let's give them a shout out. You know, they need all the help they can get. I know. Um, I'm not going to mention which one of them said the good thing, but uh, maybe they'll figure it out. Other analysts can transport themselves back, explain a situation from when they played, but then also put a focus in or put a focus on, but this is how it has to be, or this is the way we should be doing it now. Let's just say specifically. Okay, Mike Johnson and uh, Ray Ferraro. Yeah, amongst others, there are others. Former players. Other were, former players, yes. Who are saying that you know what should have gone down is what that's how it should have gone down. Now, you know? can we describe? Can we separate the careers of say a Mike Johnson, a Ray Ferraro, and he who shall not be named this week? Sure. I mean, Mike Johnson, if you were to look uh, on a, I hate, I hate saying this because it would just sound really bad, but it's probably the best analogy I can come up with. If you looked on an evolutionary line chart of a hockey player, Ray Ferraro is closer to the Gretzky side than he is, you know, the, the Matt Cook side, <laughs> right? Mike Agreed. Johnson, Mike Johnson's a little bit behind Ferraro and the other guys behind Mike Johnson. Well, so, he literally was Mike behind Mike Johnson in right. the lineup mm-hmm. for the Phoenix That's, Coyotes once exactly. upon a time. So, you know, Johnson kind of had his foot in both roles to a certain degree. You know, he wasn't he 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 wasn't that guy like Ferraro, but Ferraro also kind of had his foot in that role too cuz he still wasn't, you know, he wasn't the the epitome of goal-scoring uh talent. You know, even though he's even though he's, you know, almost got 500 goals in the NHL. Right. right? I mean, the guy knew how to score. The guy knew how to play hockey, but he he wasn't posh. He wasn't a posh player. Again, I've been watching too much great British British. (laughs) Um, You know, he had no problem kind of getting in the mud. Um, But that was the smaller portion of his game, right? It was like a 2080 type thing. Mike Johnson maybe had been like a 70, 30, 65, 35. And the other guy was a 2080 going the other way. The other guy was overproved. Okay. Yeah. Where he had it at one point, but it was just lost. The other. Yeah, I think that I think that falls into, you know, the same thing that happens to a lot of those guys 
is, um, and we've talked about it before, you know, it's, you're, you're the top of the, you're the, you're the top of the mountain so long as you're nowhere near the Rockies. You're the, you're the tallest thing around so long, you know, until you start getting closer to the Rocky Mountains, then you're a littler hill. Well, so, so the guy who should not be named, <clears throat> excuse me, I actually watched play hockey in junior uh, as, you know, I didn't really follow his NHL career, but I did watch him play hockey in junior with um, Kamloops Blazers in the early 90s. And the Kamloops Blazers in the early 90s were a freaking, like, juggernaut. Oh, they were a wagon, as, as and, the kids say today. And so... Um, should he have ended up in the NHL? It's kind of one of those, well, maybe, I don't know, but um, there's no disputing the fact that he rode on the to- coattails of others that he played with on those teams. You know, it's it's one of those scouts go and watch a good team and then they start picking out good guys from that good team and and they end up getting drafted sort of deal, whether they deserve to or not is kind of another story. <laughs> And thank you for saying good guys, because that is also at the crux of the issue where guys are put into certain roles to do someone else's bidding. But by and large, from an outside perspective, their position on the lineup was overinflated or sometimes, depending upon their age, so was their salary. But they were by and large good guys that people like to be around. Well, and that's the thing, though, is that is that he was one of those players that when he was drafted out of junior, he could have potentially been like a um, a much better player in the NHL if he had been in the right development program. Yeah, he was a classic quadruple A player somewhere in between because he put up decent offensive numbers in the AHL, but he was never expected to be that kind of player. I I think how scouts and coaches just looked at his pin numbers and said, okay, this is what you're going to do at all five foot 11, 190 soaking wet. Mm-hmm. And most of that weight was in his hair. <laughs> and his nose. Mm. So, I mean, what I'm getting at, though, is that, is that he, like so many others, didn't have to end up in the role that he was in as an NHLer because, you know, they had, if he, whatever team had, had drafted him, and I forget which one it was now. Uh, really? Was it Vancouver? It, it was because I saw his first, I saw him play pro in his first uh, season in Syracuse. Oh. And they were the Canucks affiliate at the time. This would have right. been mid. 90s when the crunch actually returned. <laughs> actually, to, I had uh, seen Toronto those games. Led... Oh I'd yeah, gone, yeah. I'd gone to Syracuse during that time. I was uh, I went to a hockey game in Syracuse in 1994. Don't ask me why I was there, but I was there. <laughs> I mean. I mean that that team featured some interesting players. Um, Toronto legend Lonnie Bohannis. Oh no, no! Before that, Portland Winterhawks legend Lonnie Bohannis. Oh. Good old Lonnie. Lonnie yeah. and Dead Marsh and Dead Marsh because there was both the both the Dead Marsh boys were there. <laughs> um, uh, future Team Canada coach Scott Walker. Who was in Kamloops? Um, yeah. Which is crazy for a uh, another. Was he in Cantaloupes? I thought he Scott was. Walker? Uh, wasn't he an OHLer? Uh, maybe I'm thinking of a different Scott Walker. They all blend in together. Yeah. Let me go look. There's probably only 20 of them. <laughs> That's <not> all. <laughs> I think this was before the WHL fad of Kale, Kale, and Kale. No, mm. oh, no. See, it was all Trevors. Oh. In the nineties in Canada, everybody was named Trevor. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh gotcha. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, sure. Hey y'all, bud. No, that's yeah. He was a he was a OHLer. He was a different Scott Walker then. God, I keep forgetting TNT has games on Sundays. 
it's kind of I, it's it's weird. I was looking at I was sort of scrolling through Twitter while you were boring me with upstate New York talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll, uh, we'll save that for a summer episode. Oh dear God in heaven. <laughs> Mike Fountain. Mike Fountain in that. Oh God. Uh, John 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 Nemesnikov. Oh. That was a. Uh, um, Actually, let me open up that team. Syracuse. <clears throat> so this was the 0405 lockout too. Um, that that uh, star Canuck player that we all know and love, Alex Stoyanov. Um, <laughs> the name sounds familiar. It's because he was traded one for one with Marcus Nasland. Um, wow. Good <laughs> God, that's a poll. <laughs> That's a very good poll. <laughs> it was the first name I saw on this roster, and I'm like, oh, right, Stoyanov. Oh, God. Yeah, so Evgeny Nemesnikov had come over from Russia, and he, this is this is um, Vlad Nemesnikov's dad, and uh, he went on to play with the Red Wings. And um, he came over from Russia. His first name is Evgeny, but he really thought that Americans were going to butcher it badly. So he insisted everybody call him John. Yeah, that's not uncommon. Yeah. So um, Nabokov did the same thing, I think, early on in San Jose. Yeah. So that's why I always refer to him as John Nemesnikov, because that's what he went by at that point in his career. If you look John, him up, it's still Evgeny, but yeah. John Namestink. Yeah. Lonnie Bahanas, dear God. Um. <laughs> no, I um. <laughs> what us go off on? No, I was just. Junior I was, hockey, what? I was scrolling through Twitter and and found people were talking about. You know, I, is this Andy's Green's last game? You know, in in New Jersey, blah blah blah. And I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? There aren't any other games until three. And I'm looking, you know, on the guides and on the ESPN app, and I'm going, no, nothing on the NHL Network, nothing on ESPN. And then I scroll down a little bit more. Oh, oh that's right, TNT has Sunday games now. <laughs> Yeah, and if you use certain sports app to, you know, keep track of who's playing today, sometimes you see those games listed, and sometimes you have to dig a little further. Yeah, it's just, that's, that's wild stuff. I'm telling you, kids these days with mm-hmm. their technology. If TNT has this uh, call tapped, I mean, you might be getting a call to do some uh, intermission analysis. Should I do it in my Morgan Freeman voice? <laughs> yeah, what people don't know is Morgan Freeman has two Morgan Freeman voices. There's mm-hmm. a normal voice, and then there's an uphill voice when he's getting excited. <laughs> so the 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 Kamloops Blazer uh, roster, the or the the let's see, where was he? Was he a twenty year old in this one? Ooh, where are you? Eighteen. <clears throat> He who shall not be named today um, included uh, Thursday Tucker, Nolan Baumgartner, Nat Dominic Helly, uh, David Wilkie, Jerome McGinley, uh, Jason Strudwick. Who? Oh, I know Strudwick. That, yeah, that Strud- is- Strudwick's the cousin of the Niedermeyer boys. Uh, but they, <laughs> speaking of the Niedermeyer boys, um, you go back a couple of years before that. You have the Niedermeyer boys. <laughs> you have, well, now, because. Uh, I know. <laughs> one didn't play in Kamloops. No, you have, you have uh, Daryl Sador, Scott Niedermeyer, um, Darcy Tucker, he who shall not be named. Um <laughs> A couple others that made it to the NHL but didn't stay for very long. So, and Corey Hirsch. Hershey Bear. Yeah. Hershey Bear. 
He actually, fun story, he came back from the Olympics after Canada in Lillehammer, after Canada placed second with the silver because of Peter Forsberg's after after he made you know his appearance on a postage stamp in Sweden. Yes, yes, uh, and they actually asked Corey Hirsch if he if they could use his number on that postage stamp, and he said no. Mm-hmm. So he actually he was under NHL contract with the New York Rangers at the time, and um, they wanted to send him back to Kamloops Junior, and he refused to go. <clears throat> So he kind of bummed around the the uh, WHL for a bit, not playing, just kind of watching games uh, before he finally went to Binghamton in the AHL. <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking at it now. He goes from 32 games played to 63 to 38 in his third season. Mm-hmm. Somebody had friends in... Oh, what am I talking about? This is hockey, hockey in the 1980s and 90s. Of course, they had friends. <laughs> he might have gone to the, let's see, so that was 92 Olympics. He might have gone to Team Canada's, like, camp, and that's why he didn't play as much. No, so it was just a random little scandal that was going on at the time when I was just starting to get into hockey. That's why I mentioned it. <laughs> uh, All the things that are twisted together. <laughs> like wiring in a household wall. Yeah. Because then you start thinking. Because then I start thinking. Oh well, what about what about Peter Forsberg? <laughs> can we can always talk about Peter Forsberg? You know, we are the Forsberg Stan account. Uh huh. Oh, hey Pat, I did my taxes. <laughs> hey, fantastic! Great timing. <laughs> Filed them all, and the Internal Revenue Service accepted it. <clears throat> Yay! Okay, so just about... accepted. Yeah, it is. Now, will they give you money back? That—that's the other thing. Oof. So, uh, um... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which so, is yeah, part that's of the answer. <laughs> which is part of the reason why I've been putting it off for so long. Uh, yeah. Nope, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, no. live in-game update. John. Not only not only is Andy Green playing for the New York Hockey Islanders, guess who's in net today? Corey Schneider. Yeah. The, now there that was a bit of a surprise. Uh I've seen this is this is part of the reason why things were perplexing me about where the hell the game was being broadcast. Cause I kept seeing rumblings about who was potentially starting. Because Sorokin's out with an injury. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is one of those games against... Both teams are effectively out, but one is more out than the other. <laughs> one has been officially eliminated and one has not. Yeah. and Unless if you go to NHL.com. Yeah. Because yeah. no one's ever eliminated. <laughs> they all still have a chance. Officially eliminated, yes. Um yeah, uh, this is just one of those games you don't start your starter. <laughs> you know? You don't start your starter against the Devils. You don't start your starter against the Senators. Or back you, to you, you flip a coin on whether you, whether you use them on the Sharks. It depends on how many days off you have. Definitely not against the Coyotes. <clears throat> no, no, definitely not. Or uh, Seattle. Yeah, Seattle's getting there too. Actually, Seattle is not getting there. Seattle's been there. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of speaking of that. Um, remember, do you remember what we were kind of saying? Hackstall might not, you know, is kind of going to be like, uh, you know, like, you know, like unflavored ice milk. You know, mm-hmm. not bad. Not yeah, boy, was I way the hell off. 
<laughs> I will take the L on that one. I will, I will prepare to eat the humble pie from, you know, <laughs> from the oven with the temperature set to egg on my face because I didn't think he'd be this bad. <laughs> I thought that time in Toronto might have done something. Mm. Well, it's <clears throat> who he spent most of his time with in Toronto. Sheldon Keefe? Yeah. Because unless there's a camera and a microphone on him at all times, boy, is he boring. <laughs> Hockey man? Boring? Gosh, that's, that's like shocker. <laughs> oh, special, special Notre Dame boy. Oh, God, even worse. Um, no. Um, what, Notre Dame? Yeah. The university anyway. or the actual chapel or university. Okay. No. Um, John Gabriel Pajot has got two quick ones. So thanks to another, uh, the help of someone from that Catholic school you just mentioned too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, you know, so I, what, what we're saying is we <laughs> willed that goal into existence by mentioning Notre Dame. Mm. <laughs> Someone I, should should like probably hit us for that. <laughs> I completely forgot he went to Notre Dame, and which is funny because I worked with a guy that went to university with him at Notre Dame, and was in the same dorms with him, like same floor, same hall, the whole nine yards. So yeah, when it comes to Notre Dame hockey, I remember him and one of the. Carlson brothers. Yes, I did say Carlson brothers of Slapshot fame. One of their kids. And that's all I remember of Notre Dame hockey. I just dislike Notre Dame football. I have no opinion on Notre Dame hockey. Do they have a women's program? Here's my opinion. A, is this a trivia question? <laughs> It might as well be. Should I guess? Because a guess would be a no. <laughs> they don't. Golly. Why I actually cannot <laughs> confirm, but I have this magic box, and I'm trying to figure it out now, but I'm pretty sure they do not. Mm-hmm. If Michigan doesn't have one, Notre Dame doesn't have one. Because Notre Dame only gets things that Michigan has so they can beat on each other. Mm-hmm. And it appears they only have club hockey just like Michigan. Michigan, yep. I guarantee you if Michigan got, if Michigan built up a women's hockey program, Notre Dame would start one as well. Followers. That would be lovely. So when do we get when do we get a uh, um, <clears throat> Pac-12 college hockey outside of what's their faces Arizona State home of the Coyotes? <laughs> yes, <laughs> caretakers of the Coyotes. I don't land landlord or superintendent of the Coyotes. No, what was the term we came with? Caretakers. Remember? Caretaker. Yep. Well. Caretakers of the Coyotes. Arizona State's hockey program is so good that they can like take in an NHL team because they're struggling. You know, it just infuriates <laughs> the living bejesus out of me. <clears throat> they, they do have a lot of stories about playing on the road. For uh, an extended period of time, that might help the professional club. As uh, I guess it was two seasons ago now. Yeah, they didn't play a single home game. Huh. Due to the pandemic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I forget. I forget. There's this pandemic is what you guys call it thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Some people refer to it as a panini. Um, a some bear. people consider it over, but it's not. Mm. Um, Controversy abounds. Yeah. So I got nothing. <laughs> I was just so happy I did my taxes. <laughs> And, um, oh, I do have one thing. Anthony Duclair. Single-handedly clinched a uh, playoff spot for the Florida Panthers this afternoon, I see. Bingo. Double goal in it. <clears throat> Good for made, him. Made them both look beauty, too. Yeah. And I, he, he's gonna, he's gonna hit 30. Yep. He he could catch the uh he could take the team scoring lead in goals. Yep. I mean Barkov has to be diplomatic and help the new guy out. Um that guy that uh, he's from somewhere in Ontario, wants to go play for the Senators apparently. I don't remember who. Um It's like half the league, right? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, we, 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 we will know that with certainty next year when all the you know trade lists are leaked to all six insiders. Mm. All six insiders. And nobody <laughs> wants to actually play in Canada. Um, uh, you you can feel sorry about the loss of Eugene Melnick. And I'm not, and I'm not like saying that like I can give permission for you to feel sorry, <laughs> like I bestow upon you the ability to feel grief. I don't control you. I, I was he a good man? Yeah, D- debatable, maybe. Depends on your definition. Right? Was he a good hockey owner? Again, depends on your definition. <laughs> I think was well, he Captain, a good boss? I think I, we can say uh, there's a little more evidence to lean one way or another there. I'd actually say he wasn't even a good hockey owner. You know, how many times over the last few years have we have we mentioned the name Melnick and gone, ugh, can you believe it? You know, he's he's done this, he said this, he's done this again, he said this, you know. Way too young, you know. It's never good, to, regardless of, you know, what that person professionally was like. But to your point, and the only reason I'm bringing this up is, you know, how many players will want to go play for Ottawa? No, no, it depends on who's going to be the owner going forward. Right? Yeah. It... <clears throat> Was he married? Pardon? Oh, yeah. Uh, um, yes, but I don't think this is one of those situations. There's probably prenups all up and down because I think it was a, I think it was a May December wedding, or, mm. you know, mm-hmm. type thing. Um, <clears throat> but he, as far as I know, in front of what I've read, and this is all hearsay until proven otherwise. Um, he has two daughters in their young twenties who I believe are maybe probably not the executors of his estate, but are named as potential um, inheritors of the ownership of the team. Oh, please. Oh, please. Oh, please let them keep it. (laughs) And that's what I was going to say. Yeah. And let them keep it. (laughs) And, And let them just make all these old men look like fools. Yes. I think they're I think they're on the board of of the trust for the estate. Yes, I think that that was the term I was searching for, because, I mean, in my limited dealings with this, I just know executors. And yeah, I'm pretty sure they're they're on the board of the trust for his estate. Um, And 
maybe even signatories to certain things. Anyway, um, I, you know, good on them if they want to keep it. My problem is the same problem that was there previously is how much capital do they have? You know? Because I don't think he was Minbar funding this team for any other reason than don't think he was that rich, you know? No, he would certainly. I wouldn't even say that, but in comparison to his, to the group of other compatriots at the NHL ownership level, he was at the bottom of the list. Um, which is, there's, you know, bottom of the list. So he was only worth a billion dollars, which is all fine. You know, that's all fine and good, you know, to say somebody's worth a billion dollars, but how much of that's racked up in debt? Right. You know, how much of it is leveraged? Yeah. Um, and then also how much are his other businesses profiting versus what some of the other conglomerates are doing? Right. And, and I don't, you know, there's, there's money balling and then there's low balling, right? And I don't think his min bar spending was money balling. Right? I don't th- I don't think it was a transition of, you know, taking money out of areas you think you're overspending in because you're not, you know, the return on investment and then dumping it somewhere where it made more sense. I think it was just hack and slash without thinking through kind of a little bit what the Pagulas did to Buffalo. Um, No plan, just throwing things together. Yeah. Just hacking without thinking what you're hacking off. Um, Because in both, I was going to say in both situations that you just mentioned, they came in firing on all cylinders, throwing resources willy nilly. And then, then they had to rein themselves back in. Well, yeah, as, as but, they, I think, I think it, <laughs> I'm going to throw out a conspiracy theory here. I think that was beef the franchise up to all hell and then maybe see if you can't turn a profit on it. And then when that plan didn't work, you know, oh crap, now I'm saddled with this thing. Yeah, and which is going to make things interesting since, you know, there are talks and rumors of sales and interested parties looking to grab a franchise um, while values are perceived as low. And uh, Gary's not biting because he has to sign off on this. He's backed himself into a corner with Arizona. You know, for him to be and and he, if nothing else, you can you can say what you will about Gary Bettman and we all do. Um, He, if nothing else, tries to be consistent with all teams. If he can, it at all possible. He doesn't try to make it look like or he tries to avoid making it look like he's playing favorites, even though clearly Arizona he is. But even still, you know, he if. What he's doing with Arizona, depending on how he's viewing that, whether he's actually genuinely viewing that as a woohoo, good for us, we've got things in, under control, or if he's viewing that as, all right, this is just stopgap measure, we're just going to do this for a while while we have, and buy time to figure things out, um, that's going to be what everything else, I think, in his head is going to be measured upon, right? It's this is what we're doing in Vegas. Well, we can't do such and such with Buffalo because that's going to make it look like we're playing favorites with Ve- or with Vegas, with Arizona. And so how are we going to work this kind of thing? Picking yeah. favorites on the market is one thing. The real problem is who, who he's vetting out to take over these teams. Always has been. It's like you have you have money, you have an arena, good, it's yours. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I yeah, kind that, of. It's a fifty-fifty on me on that one. You know, he's brought in some good owners, and he's also 
made deals that were detrimental to the team, but were more for the league. Mm-hmm. And I'm specifically talking about Hasso Plattner because Plattner mm-hmm. was part of the was part of the group that owned San Jose. And he decided he wanted the franchise when the group started, um, you know, backing, you know, the people started selling off portions of that group. But the only way, and this is speculation and a little bit of rumor from down there, um, Batman didn't want the franchise up for sale. He just wanted a transition of ownership. And the only way that he could get that done was if they signed some form of deal with Hasso's other business, which happens to be SAP. Mm-hmm. So that coincidentally, you know, the SAP deal was announced not long after Hasso was announced as the owner of the San Jose Sharks. Now, you can argue, you know, the amount of success that the Sharks have had in the time that he's owned them. You know, those early years in the Stanley Cup run. But look at where they're at now. <laughs> you know, it's easy to inherit success. It's it's far more difficult to sustain it after you know, that which made you successful, successful starts aging out. Joe Thornton, Patrick Marlowe, Joe Pavelski, Vlasic, you know, the list goes on. <clears throat> so, you know, Tampa in a few years. A little bit. Um, so when I was going to, uh, so in conclusion of my thought about the, the, the cheapness factor, um, I look at somebody like Columbus that's spending money wisely. You know, they're, they probably don't have the biggest scouting staff. They probably don't have the biggest front office. You know, they don't have teams and teams of people, you know, uh, big, huge data analytics. You know, they're not the Maple Leafs. They're, you know, they're a small market team that spends smartly as a small market team. And, you know, they flirt with success here and there. And all it's going to take for them is, you know, couple of good draft picks here and there that step in while they're still under those entry-level contracts or they can get on those, you know, they can they can get on a bridge deal before that player blows up like a Nathan McKinnon and now you've got sustained success on a cheaper team. So, you know, you can run a franchise on a thin budget I'm not saying that, you know, you can, but what Dorian, or not Dorian, um, what Melnick and and the folks in Arizona are doing is just like, you're just cutting for the sake of cutting. Well, um, I mean, it ultimately comes down to what they thought they were getting into when they bought the team, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, a lot of... People who have that kind of money tend to have a good idea of how business works, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't still have that kind of money. But not everyone understands that most top, most professional sports teams operate at a, operate at a loss, right? They go and and they just think, oh, well, you know, I'm successful everything with everything else. This will be a piece of cake, and they don't do the research and they don't do the the um, they don't invest in the way that they should differently from how they invest in everything else. And so they're trying to run everything like they do as a, as the rest of their businesses. And that's not necessarily going to work in sports. So, and, yeah. And most of them don't realize which type of business that they're in when right. they get involved with the team. Right. They don't recognize the fact that it's an entertainment business. Mm -hmm. They think sports is something else. It's sports, right? But that's all sports is, is entertainment. And entertainment is run differently than, you know, a hedge fund. (laughs) they, They are closer to a movie studio where studios put lots and lots of investments hoping for a giant return. 
and they get really mad when they barely break even. I don't and the that. NHL would love that sort of scenario, but they're not there. I don't. I don't think they get as mad as you might suspect, because some of them use the loss as a write-off. Oh, for sure. So, I've I've always kind of argued that this is part of what Hasso's doing is um you know putting a stop loss on on the sharks organization right he's he's so hands off you know cuz he can only spend a certain number of days in the united states and you know lives in germany primarily and the time difference and yada 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 i i i just think he's put a stop loss on it and i think that's what some of the other ones do too i don't care what you do just don't lose more than this Right, but so those are the those are the people who understand that professional sports teams often run at a loss. No, I, I they do, but what I'm saying is, is they also they contract their budget. You know, forcing these people to make decisions that are out of not hitting that stop loss. Versus right. not, you know, versus spending wisely, you know, I think I can put a little bit more money into this because I think it'll return on this. I mean, you know, we may not lose as much. Well, not what I was getting at was that the people like um, like the Arizona owners in Buffalo, when they went into it, I don't think they recognized what kind of business they were getting into. And so that's why they like dumped a bunch of money in and then re- realized, oh, that's that's not what we should have done. Because, <laughs> you know, things didn't change as quickly as they wanted to or turn around or they, they recognized the fact that they were in a business that um, doesn't operate in the manner that they're used to. And uh, and so then they became far more conservative with their money and what they were doing with it. Um I think that's that's probably why those situations ended up that way, at least initially, after after like years and decades and stuff. That's a whole nother story. But um, when new owners come in and they're like, oh, yeah, we're just going to throw money around and we're going to be winning Stanley Cups left and right. It's because they have no idea what how how to invest in a team, <laughs> what they're getting into. I was really afraid this guy in this commercial was going to try to take the color out of his chest hair. They did one of those men's hair color commercials. <laughs> and for oh, some I reason, know. and for some reason, the guy ran into the bathroom, stripped off his shirt and, you know, pulled out the thing to, to brush in the hair color by his chest. And I'm like, what is he going to take the gray out of his chest hair? Oh, and with that, I think I'm done. <laughs> Gosh, I wonder why. <laughs> Someone needs to slap me. Hey, hey. Or or you need to see Dry Sidle score what three tonight? Yeah. Yeah. For reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I mean good for good for good for Toronto. You know, they've had such a rough, rough go of it for so long their fan base has been long suffering and they deserve finally having checks notes a 50 goal scorer (laughs) can you say this with a straight face or (laughs) i just can't (laughs) now i've noticed that that maple leaf fans tend to be more abusive the better the team gets (laughs) well of course they tend to be like the nicest people when their team sucks, though. <laughs> of course, not well. It's it, it's their media too, the same ones that perpetuated the Tampa is cheating last season. God, yes. But I respect the Maple Leafs fans that come out and say, "If they win this cup, I will be obnoxious about it." There's like, oh, thank I... you for the fair warning. I will yeah. meet you for a period of time, but I'll check in and make sure you're still alive. Right. <laughs> I had 
absolutely, I fully expect them to be as not obnoxious as all hell. And I would just turn right around and say, great, we'll see you in another 50 years. <laughs> you know? Because now you're just becoming Montreal fans, right? <laughs> you talk about the glory days. <laughs> 1993. <laughs> God, I do miss that series. Jean-Jacques Daniel, Eric Desjardins, Eric Desjardins with the hat trick in the, in the illegal stick game was just chef's kiss. And then 1995 happened, and I became... A recovering habaholic. I, <laughs> I was going to say, have you talked to your free. therapist? <laughs> I have. I have been habs-free since 1995. And so is the Stanley Cup. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been... <laughs> it, apparently the Stanley Cup has all of the Canadian teams on its no-trade list. Um <clears throat> <laughs> well, you know, it does typically reside in in uh, Toronto, so who can blame it, right? <laughs> yeah, it has to deal with the media. Um, yeah, how do we end these things? <laughs> <laughs> it well, okay. So my previous podcast that I was doing, that was a. A serious question and not rhetorical. Because <laughs> I did my taxes so Pat can't get on me. Right. <clears throat> is, is, you know, we just say something along the lines of, you know, thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you next week. This has been the 3B3 Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at 3B3 Podcast. We're available for NHL consulting at reasonable fees.